began a few weeks ago this series called Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. Because as, as important as it is, and please do not get me wrong on this, as important as it is for us to be people who are devoted to sound doctrine and uh, good theology, and no one is a greater proponent of that than me, as much as that's true, the Christian life was not to be lived in your head. It's not just enough to know stuff about God. God meant for us to experience him every day, that our faith actually is lived out in a miraculous experience. And we are looking at the book of Acts that describes... I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians. You're right. I, but, I, but we are, and that's because we're, we're going to pick back up in the middle of something we started last week. But our launching pad for this series is the book of Acts, where we see the record of the birth of the church and the expansion of that church that uh, encompasses the world. And those people who embraced the gospel and then took that gospel everywhere and changed the course of human history, when we read their stories... It looks so much different than most of our Christian experience. And I just feel like the Lord wants to change that. He was the one. Jesus was the one who said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Most of us know what it's like to be spiritually thirsty. Maybe you are today. And today that thirst can be quenched. But a lot of us here today have experienced what it's like to have that thirst of our souls quenched by Jesus. He said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And then he said, out. Then he said after that, and in addition to that, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So not only is this dry, dusty, thirsty soul of mine quenched with the living water of God as I come to him in faith, but there's something so powerful that takes place in my own soul that I become a fountain head of the living water of Jesus. He meant for us to live that way, that everywhere I go, there's something pouring out of my life of the power of God. So we have decided that we want to not just be people who know about God, but people who are experiencing him in our lives in powerful ways. So we've been looking, in addition to the stories in the book of Acts, to 1 Corinthians that describes for us nine spiritual gifts, nine gifts of the Spirit. Miraculous things that God wants to channel through his people to those in need around us. And those nine gifts of the Spirit that we read about there are tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, prophecy, word of, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, and healings. God, these are things that God wants to um, dispense through us, allow us to be deliverers of to people who need them, who need God and his answers and his provisions. And so we want to be people who kind of get used to that process of being used by God in that way. So we've been looking at 1 Corinthians for uh, that information. Now, <clears throat> I have taken those just arbitrarily. Nobody told me I couldn't, so I did. I've just taken those nine gifts of the Spirit and divided them up into three groups. The power to communicate, the power to understand, and the power to change things. And so we've been talking about the first group of those, the power to communicate, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. We talked about uh, 
As, as we were leading up to this, who is the Holy Spirit? We've talked about how to be filled with the Spirit and the importance of that. And then uh, we talked about the first of these three gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. We talked about the, the language of the heart and how valuable that is to us as believers. And then we talked last, started last week to talk about the gift of prophecy. And we talked about its importance. We talked about how to begin to um, receive a gift of prophecy to offer to someone else. We're going to pick up today talking about how to offer, actually go through the steps of how to give a word of prophecy. And then we're going to talk about how that uh, prophecy ought to be judged. And then we're going to talk briefly about the gift of interpretation of tongues. So that's where we're headed today. Everybody with me? All right, that's what I needed to hear. A little more enthusiasm would have been nice, but that's okay. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. I wish you all spoke with tongues, verse 5 says, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Verse 31 of the same chapter. For you all, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. You can all prophesy. Notice the priority that God gives this gift. He wants for us to hear from him. Let me tell you a story. About 15 years or so, I lose track of time. It might have even been longer than that. But Sue and I had gone to the Central Valley um, to pastor a church there that our denomination had asked us if we would try to uh, fix. <laughs> it was in some serious trouble. The pastor had had a moral failure, and whenever that happens, people are very deeply hurt, and there wasn't much left of it, so uh, they wanted someone with experience to go there and kind of right the ship, so we did that. We were there for about two and a half years, bought a home there, and, and after we completed that project, in other words, got things to a healthier state, then we brought in someone out of seminary to pastor that church, and he continues to do so, and the church thrives, which I'm really grateful for. But our job had ended, and we believe the Lord is calling us to come back to the Bay Area to start a new church. If you've ever uh, moved away from the Bay Area and then had to come back to this very expensive place to live, you know the challenge that we were facing. Um, and <laughs> we were coming back without any employment and getting ready to plant a church and needing to uh, support ourselves during that period of time and during the initial stages of the church plant before it could support itself. And can I tell you, we were in some serious financial stress. The house that we owned in the Central Valley, we couldn't sell. So we had that mortgage to pay. And we were coming back to the Bay Area with these exorbitant housing uh, prices and rents and needing to uh, be able to pay to have a place to live here at the same time. We had also accumulated, to, uh, uh, in our own fault, about $20,000 in credit card debt. If you've ever experienced financial stress, you know what I'm talking about. It's horrible. It's like a, a weight that's crushing you and you can't get out from under it. And that's where we were. 
And I would like to say that I'm, you know, this great man of faith and power, and I just kept confident in God that he was going to take care of us. And, but the truth was, I was devastated. I remember watching, you've maybe heard me say this before, I was watching TV with Sue one night, and a McDonald's commercial came on. I said to her, honey, I promise someday we'll get to eat at McDonald's again. <laughs> and then one day, a guy that... I had met, but we didn't know each other. And he didn't know anything about our, our circumstances. But a Christian guy. He came to Sue and me and he said, Guys, I, I feel like the Lord wants to say this to you. He said, The Lord has not destined you for foreclosure, but profit. Now, I knew right away he wasn't talking about money. But I also knew that God knew what only he could know, that the bank was foreclosing on our property in Visalia. But to hear the Lord say that to us, oh, when God speaks, just those few words, when God speaks, it's like, oh, it is life-giving, and it stirred our faith to be able to trust God. Within days, the bank that uh, owned uh, the, the, or had the mortgage on that property that we couldn't sell, um, we, we, we were able to sell it short, which means we sold it for less than we owed. And the bank accepted that as payment in full and didn't ding our credit either. This is a miracle. And within months, months, God had retired that $20,000 of debt and set us on a path of <laughs> health and wholeness in our finances. And it started with that word that pierced the darkness of our despair and discouragement and turned our hearts to God again. Prophecy is powerful. Think of all of the times that you have sensed God might want to use you to say something to someone else, to offer a word of some, or to, to someone, and you didn't. Let's be people who are available to God to use him like that guy did. I know it wasn't easy for him to just step forward and say, here's what I think God is saying. But in offering that, oh, it meant so much to us, and we can be the, the deliverers of these packages of God's grace to one another. So we talked last week about how to receive, or what's involved in receiving a gift of prophecy to offer to someone. Today we're going to talk about the giving of that. And I'm just going to give you three words. The first one is self-control, self-control. Now when you uh, feel like the, that the Lord has... Uh, given you something to share or that the Lord wants you to speak on his behalf to someone, whether it's in private or to a group like I'm doing right now, it's not going to happen like this. It's not that God is going to get a hold of you and you're going to start talking. That, that's not the way it's going to happen. Thank God, right? In fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Part of what flowers out of my life as the Holy Spirit is working in me is self-control. 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 32, where it says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I can say yes or no. I can be used or not. But self-control is not, I don't mean that we want to use it to, to resist what God is doing, but we aren't, we are not, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to panic <laughs> when that starts to come upon you and you feel like God oh, Lord wants, you to use, wants to use you. You can kind of rest, take a deep breath, step back. It's going to be okay. And be yourself. Somebody, I don't know, somebody a long time ago got it in their mind that every prophetic word should begin like this. Thus saith the Lord. Who said that? Who talks like that? Where is that in the Bible? God is wanting to use you to deliver that word. And so it ought to sound like you with the force of God behind it. So don't try to be somebody you're not. Just wait, self-control. It's, it's going to be okay. The second word I want to give you is Sensitivity. Giving or offering a word of prophecy requires being sensitive to a couple of things. First of all, to timing. Just because God is giving you something doesn't mean he means for you to give it right now. So part of the prayer is, oh God, really, this is you? You want to use me? Part of the prayer is, is it now? Let him answer that prayer because it isn't always now. In fact, I have something I believe is a word from the, and you'll notice I will often qualify what I'm saying by I believe the Lord is giving this to me, okay? And that's all right, because none of us are perfect in this. But I believe the Lord has given me a word for a group of people in another country that I, I visit frequently, and, I, and I've had this word for about four years, but I don't, still don't feel it's the right time for it. Now, maybe it'll never be. Maybe it's just, you know, and that's up to God. But I'm waiting on him to give me that sense of now, now. And the Lord will do that. There's timing to these things. Also, you want to be sensitive to dynamics, meaning that if, you know, sometimes people, they, they, they get so worked up about the process of, of giving a word of prophecy that, and they're so nervous about it that it'll come off in some really agitated way when what they're saying is really something supposed to be delivered in a more comfortable or a more, um, or less uh, dramatic or, or um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a method. So the dynamics of the delivery need to match the dynamics of the moment. But sometimes we get that kind of mixed up because we were so, you know, worked up about this. So being sensitive to the dynamics. Is this a word that is supposed to comfort? Or as we talked about last week, is this a word that's supposed to, you know, uh, drill into someone with, a, with uh, exhortation? Or is this something that is supposed to edify, to lay foundation or to build up someone? The dynamics, being sensitive to the dynamics is important. Third word I want to give you about this is submission, submission. Um, there's a big problem with people kind of going rogue with prophecy. 
And uh, you just, man, steer clear of those people. Prophecy it works best when, it's, when the person offering a word of prophecy is themselves submitted under the covering and protection of a church family, of the family of God, so that there is the, you know, there's a backstop, you know? They're not just lone rangers out there shooting from the hip that I, I can rest in and you can rest in the fact that there's a... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in this alone. That there are people who are going to who watch over my life, and if I'm saying stuff that isn't from God, they're going to correct me on that. So submission to the church body and to church leadership is important. So these three words, simple, and yet they will help you when you when you have that sense that God wants to use you. Don't panic. Self control. Be yourself. Be sensitive to timing, to the dynamics, and submit it to the church and to church leadership. Now let's talk a little bit about the proving or the judging of prophecy because we are not supposed to just accept any old thing anybody claims to be from God. If you come to me and say, here's what, here's what the Lord is saying to you, Randy, I don't have to receive that based on certain criteria. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and so you never have to feel like, you know, you're just, uh, you know, a target, okay? Look at verse 29 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, where it says this. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. It goes on to say you can all prophesy. We read that earlier, and it says you can do it one by one, but he says don't, don't just let everybody prophesy, wait, you know, just let a couple and then judge those prophecies before you move on to the next so that we are not only just listening to words of prophecy, but we're scrutinizing them for whether they're legitimate or not. And if they're legitimate, that we're actually applying them. Because this isn't just entertainment. This isn't just spiritual entertainment. This is for something. God is speaking. He, he, he needs, he wants for a reaction, an application to follow. And part of that is judging it in the beginning. So, Here's the ways we go about judging prophecy and whether it's genuine. First, con uh, oh, I had it up there, sorry. Content. Come on, you can do this. Content. All right. It will never, when God is speaking, it will never violate, it will never be discordant with his revealed word of God. Never. It will always sound like this. God is always consistent in what he's saying. But prophecy speaks into the current situations and circumstances of our lives in a way that is consistent with the word of God but has the punch of the immediacy of the moment. So, so it's always going to be like this. And if it doesn't sound like this, reject it. Don't go anywhere near it. Number two, correctness. Now this may seem like a little goofy thing that to say but it's I've heard people and you have too heard people do goofy things and stamp God's name on it and we're not to let that happen so God is never going to tell you the earth is flat because it isn't when God speaks he tends to know everything that there is to know and it's going to be correct so when people are saying things that are stupid 
It's not God, right? It's going to be correct. Um, this isn't exactly the same thing, but I heard this guy one time, he, he began his prophetic word. I, I never heard the rest of it because I just I dropped off after this. He said, many moons ago, like we were all Native Americans or something, you know, and it was like he totally lost me at that point. I don't think God would be addressing this group of white suburban middle class people many moons ago. Anyway, forgive me for saying that. The next thing is comp <laughs> compassion. God, God will never speak guilt, condemnation, shame, fear, ever. Even when God has to get pointed with you and speak directly to you and challenge you, it will always be layered with his lavish love, always. And if it doesn't have the sound of love in it, reject it. It's not from God. Judge it on the basis of context. God is, won't interrupt himself. Let me try to see if I can explain this. So if we're in a, let's say we're here together like we are right now in this group, a bunch of us, and someone stood to say, or maybe me on the platform, I'd say, here, guys, I think the Lord is wanting to say this. It ought, to, it ought to be in the context of everything else God is doing at the moment. Some of us have, have had the experience of being in a group of people like that where the Lord was moving us in a direction. Our worship and our, and our fellowship together had a sort of um, trail to it. Uh, God was guiding us along the path. And then someone has stood up and, and purported to prophesy and it sounded like something completely different. Like... Where did that come from? You kind of have to ask yourself, well, where did that come from? Because God is not going to interrupt himself. He's going to say things that are consistent with the context of everything else that he's doing. Does that make sense? Humor me. Does that make sense? Okay. Finally, we judge prophecy on the basis of character. Character. Now, don't get me wrong, I know that God can speak through a donkey. He did that. But at the same time, I think God wants us to have a, you know, an eye to the character of the person who is purporting to speak for God. If that person, if their life's a mess, they're in unrepentant sin, and they're trying to tell me what God is saying to me, I'm going to be a little skeptical about that. If they are a person who is, you know, just doing their own thing in life and showed up and want to get in my face and tell me what God has to say, I'm probably going to reject that because of the character of the person. I, I don't think that that violates the fact that God can do anything he wants and use anybody he wants to use at any given time. But I do think it is one of the things we need to keep in mind. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about interpretation of tongues before we leave today. So, you know, we talked about the gift of tongues and its value uh, to us as believers. And it is the one of the nine gifts that has both a private and a public expression. We talked mostly about the private use of that gift and how it enables us, enhances our uh, communication with God, both in prayer and in worship. Um, but it also uh, is, uh, has a public um, 
expression that is for the benefit of the body of Christ. That's clear if, we, if you read 1 Corinthians 14. <clears throat> but there's some things that I want for us to, to note about this gift uh, in its public expression, because that's where you want the interpretation. Uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 14, I'll read it again, I wish you all, verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless, unless, indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. There are times when people want to discount or devalue the gift of tongues with interpretation as less important than prophecy, but Paul says they're of equal value. If I have tongues of interpretation, that is as valuable as the gift of prophecy. To me, the gifts of uh, tongues with interpretation in the uh, body of Christ is, is uh, um, one of the least, interpretation of tongues is one of the least utilized, underutilized, and least understood and, and le least valued gifts of the Spirit. And I am a proponent of seeing that changed. It's valuable. <coughs> It is a supernatural provision, not a natural aptitude. In other words, just because you're bilingual, can speak Mandarin Chinese, or, or, and somebody in tongues begins to speak in Chinese, and you stand up and interpret, that's not the same thing. The gift of interpretation of tongues is supernatural. It's God enabling someone to have the sense of what's being said in this spiritual language and then offering it to everybody else. And it is not... Translation. Now, I know there's a little crossover in these, uh, in the definition of translation versus interpretation, but for the most part, when we say translation, we're talking about word for word. That Bible you hold in your hand there, it is a translation. The Bible was not written in English or whatever language you have in your lap. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. It has been translated into the language that you have there. And we call it a translation because we want it to be as close as we can to word for word. Now, of course, there are differences in grammar and they have to be accommodated. But we want it to be word for word, right? Well, interpretation of tongues is not word for word. It's thought for thought, sense for sense. We want to get the gist of, we want to be able to listen in on the gist of what's being said from the spirit of one person to the living God in worship or in prayer. How many of you ever bought, paid good money to buy a Christian worship CD or song like, you know, from a, from a music, uh, online music source? A lot of us. Why did you do that? Why did you spend good money to buy somebody else's music where they're singing to God. Well, you did that because listening in on the deep uh, expressions of worship that are coming forth in that music is edifying to you. It, it builds you up. It's encouraging. Tongues with interpretation of tongues is like that. We get to listen in on the deep cries and expressions of, of uh, intercessory prayer and worship coming from the spirit of someone to the throne of the living God. And that brings me to the next point, which is that interpretation of tongues will always be addressed to God. And I know that this goes against the grain of some of the experience of some of us in this room. If you've had exposure to times when someone in a meeting has spoken in tongues and there's been interpretation, often this is how it will be. 
someone will speak in tongues and then the person who is uh, who we assume is interpreting will say something that sounds like God speaking to us. Right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now I'm not saying that what I just described uh, was not a valid expression in tongues or a valid um, you know, gift on the other end, but I want to submit to you that what was being thought of as the interpretation was really a gift of prophecy, and what we missed was the interpretation to the tongues. That's why I said I believe that tongues with interpretation is one of the least utilized and, le- and least understood and less valued gifts of the, of the nine. Because we miss this so often. I was in a meeting one time, a large group of people, and in that church there were uh, microphones in the aisles so that if you had, you felt like the Lord was giving you a word to share, you could go to the microphone, check in with an elder that was sitting there and make sure you weren't you know, going to say some goofball thing, and then you would have an opportunity to share that. Somebody got to a microphone, began to speak in tongues, and I'm sitting there, and I can, I can understand, not word for word, but I, I, my heart was pounding with a sense of what was being communicated in the spirit by this person. And I started to get up from my seat to go to the microphone to give the interpretation of tongues. Before I could get there, someone else stepped in and gave this word that sounded like God speaking to us. It was prophecy, dear ones. It was prophecy. The gifts on display stirred up the availability of that person to receive a word of prophecy. They did. They went to the microphone. But the problem was, by the time he said what he he said, everybody there thought, We'd had the tongues and interpretation. So now if I go to the microphone, the only thing I'm going to do is confuse things. So I sat back down. We had a tongue. We had a prophecy. But we missed the interpretation that day. And so much of the church is like that. We don't, we don't value this gift or understand it enough to experience the value of it. I hope you were with me on that. I don't have time to to go any further with that. But this is important. This is important. When there's tongues and interpretation, it will sound as though someone is worshiping or praying to God according to his word. It is re- interpretation of tongues is required for a public uh, offering of a gift of tongues. required. But it's counterproductive for private tongues private expression. In other words, when I'm by myself, obviously, I don't need someone to give a gift of interpretation. It, 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 uh, it, uh, uh, it's counterproductive to what I'm trying to do. I don't want to think about what I'm saying. I want just to be expressing to God my heart. But here's where it gets a little tricky. Sometimes people want to be so legalistic about this stuff. So earlier this morning when we were all Uh, worshiping the Lord and we were standing and Dave was leading us and we were singing our hearts out to God I was at one point I was speaking when he said uh, let's sing a new song okay everybody is just you know speaking out of their hearts to God I started to speak in tongues you didn't know that I didn't want for you to know that I could have gotten everybody I could have turned on my mic I could have said it in a way that would have drawn attention to it but that wasn't the point the point was just private just me and God so no interpretation was necessary even though it was in a public place 
This is recording number 11198 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 31, 2016. This is the fifth message in a series titled, Empower the Spirit-Filled Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Power to Communicate, Part 3.